someone once told me that when you look another man in the eye, um, on some level, you fear that he either wants to fuck you or kill you. Welcome, bienvenue, konnichiwa, Samish Inquisition yet again on Sunday the 3rd of May, episode 130, I'm Amish Phil, I'm Amish Ben, I'm Amish Matt, and today's guest is the founder of masklessmen.com, empowering men to become the greatest version of yourselves, of themselves, sorry, Jay Williams, welcome. Welcome in. Thanks for having me. To be here. No problem. I, I, I just love that countdown. Like yeah. the Thunderbirds, it just gets me. It's so nostalgic. <laughs> right. Can't believe we, we haven't had a copyright strike yet. Uh, 130 uh, episodes in. Yeah, might do now though. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jay, it sounds like you got your work cut out. Well, definitely, yeah. I think um, as men, we're not the easiest to work with, to be honest with you, <laughs> compared to women. <laughs> really? What's the uh, what's the thing that holds us back? Well, what are some of the things that hold us back, do you think? Um, well, I think this would be quite obvious, but ourselves. And <laughs> um, we're really good at getting in our own way. And a lot of the time, it's our ego that gets in the way. You know, as guys, we are often... We've got that attitude of, I, I can do it on my own. I don't need help. I don't need instructions. I don't need directions from the back of the car. I know where <laughs> I'm going. I know what I'm doing. And, um, you know, as guys, we've got that attitude of just not willing to ask for help because it's this perceived sign of weakness uh, that a lot of us have been brought up to believe, of course. And, um you know, it really limits us to a degree. Uh, and there's, of course, like other things that limit us about, um, you know, our experiences in life and um, what we've come to believe about the world, what we ourselves, and that is a massive limiting factor. And that's one of the reasons I say we're good at getting in our own way. Mm. So part of this is this showing this vulnerability, I guess, is it? Men are uh, reluctant to show the vulnerable sides. Yeah, hundred percent. What about you guys? Are you uh, are you okay with showing vulnerability? Absolutely. Just uh, what's that film, Lion? <laughs> <laughs> Have you I seen? I can't even watch it yet. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about you guys crying about it. <laughs> Have you seen Lion, Jay? The film? Uh, but no. Well, oh god. We talk about it often because it has us in buckets of tears <laughs> when we watch it. It's horrific. Yeah. You know, it's amazing how many men actually cry. Um, and, and you wouldn't believe it, would you? Um, I run um, men's groups, right? And um, every week we get together and um, I have a series of questions. And I can go into that 
if you want to get into some of those questions are quite entertaining uh, to help men remove the mask right because they all come in there with their, their tough guy macho or their you know I'm not going to show him anything or I'm not going to feel anything or express any emotion and uh, one of the questions on in there is when was the last time you cried and these guys are like crying <laughs> multiple times a week and it is quite often around films to be honest with you so really yeah that's surprising yeah all of the time but there's another i'll tell you what i'll tell you about some of the other questions because uh no so to give you a little bit of context around the men's groups and um, the men's groups for me really started uh, because, you know, I was in the Air Force for nine years. I moved around a lot or lived all over the country. And uh, my partner's uh, from a place called Aylesbury down here. And I moved uh, when I left the military. I was living back in Wales and I had to move back in with my parents, which was hard. I don't know if any of you guys can relate. Mm-hmm. And then I decided to move in with my partner down uh, in Aylesbury. We decided to buy a house and we moved to Milton Keynes. And of course, you know, when you move to any new area, you quite often don't know anyone. And so I found myself just feeling like really down and depressed, to be honest with you. And, and like feeling really lonely and thinking to myself, I've got no male friends. Like I played for the local football team. Um, but you know, it was all lads, in their early 20s, and I'm 34 now. (laughs) And um, they just weren't my type of guys, or, you know, they were at that age where they didn't have that level of maturity. And so I just felt really lonely. And um, so I started searching online for, like, men's socials and stumbled across uh, men's groups. And I was like, men's groups what what is this what are these guys up to in these men's groups and so i went on to meet up and signed up for one of them and i had to go to this place at like seven seven o'clock at night and it it was like meet meet us at this car park in the middle of nowhere in the buckinghamshire buckinghamshire countryside so i rock up to this car park and no one's here and i'm thinking i've I've got them right place here <laughs> oh, and uh gradually a couple of guys come and they're all hugging each other and i'm like a bit close like what am i getting myself in for here and uh then they march us out in pitch black into the middle of a field and i'm really trusting right i just go oh this all must be part of it so i march out to this field and in the middle of this field there's this yurt and <laughs> what the hell? So I go in and uh, the guy says, take your shoes off, make yourself comfortable, do what you like. And he's really calm and a bit zen. (laughs) And he says, okay, we're all going to, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. (laughs) Where is this going? What's he going to pull out next? (laughs) uh, (laughs) He just goes like, he goes, okay, I'll sit in a circle. Mm. <laughs> and he goes, okay, put your thumbs up. I'm like, yeah. And, and then he says, okay, turn them to the right. Now open up your palms. And now hold the hand of the guy next to you. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Take a breath. <laughs> hold the guy's hands. And he's like, okay, let's, let's just be in the room. 
<laughs> Take a couple of minutes just to reset, let the stress of the day go. And I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. Like, and, and that happens. And then he says, okay, now we're going to do something called a yoga nidra meditation. And I meditate every day anyway. And so I was fine with meditation, but I'd never done yoga nidra. And so we lay on the floor and he starts playing this, this instrument. It sounds a bit like a didgeridoo <laughs> and the whole year is vibrating. And I'm like, like some kind of spaceship that's going to take off. <laughs> sounds like something. Um, I remember reading an article about, um, is this a bit PG, this one? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Say whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> Um, this woman from Scotland who said she'd been space bummed by aliens (laughs) (laughs) and um, her name was Anne I think and um, there was an article in the sun obviously a great newspaper for truly accurate (laughs) news articles and um, she was talking about how um, these uh, these aliens came down in their spaceship, probably like a Ford Fiesta. And um, they each had a bottle, their special um, spunk juice or something called Buckfast. And obviously, and they give me a right good seeing too. And she talked about all of this stuff. And I just had visions that this was going to happen to me. Like, you know, space aliens are going to come down and we were going to have a little bit of fun. And, uh, I got, there. but he played <laughs> he uh, he played this instrument and we did this meditation and then he says okay we're all going to sit in a circle and, and we're all certain so there's five of us I think in total he said has, has anyone got anything any, anything to share and naturally everyone's like a bit hesitant f- at first like you know I don't want to be the first like it's a bit weird and then one guy just comes out he says okay I'll go I don't know what it truly means to be a man. I was like, okay. Well, what does it mean to you then? And he's like, oh, well, I'm going out with this woman and she says I'm not a man. And I'm really about what it is to be a man in the modern world and where's my role in a relationship today. Uh, and, and, like, I'm just so confused. Like, am I a man? I don't know. You know, I've got one of these, but mm. <laughs> am I really... A man. And the conversation went on all night. And men were sharing like this stuff. And I was like, holy shit. Like, this is really going on. Like, and I thought it was just me had who had all of these crazy thoughts. And so I thought to myself, well, this was really good. Like, I, I enjoyed like removing the mask, men getting real, connecting with other men. And just being vulnerable in a really safe space because, you know, not every every one of us has the support network to be able to do that. And someone once described this type of conversation to me as not being pub talk. It's not pub talk. It's not the banter, the laddish kind of behavior that you might expect with your uh, guy friends. And so I decided to start up a, a men's group of my own. And I went and did a facilitator training uh, on how to hold these men's groups. And to be honest with you, I came away from the training and it didn't give me a lot, but it gave me enough to get going. And so I put it up on Meetup, um, 
five guys showed up all looking absolutely terrified as as much as I was too. I was shitting myself. Mm. And it was like all these guys are sat in the room looking at me and they're like, okay, let's go. And I had a list of questions that were designed to start to remove the mask. And they started quite softly, like, what's your name? What's your age? Why are you here? And everybody presented the you know, the surface level idea of why they were really there, which was, oh, yeah, I just want to connect and see what this thing's about. And then as you got deeper, like, what's your sexuality? Um, you know, what, what's your relationship status? Or I'm a, I'm a male who's in a, who's bi, who's in a relationship with a transgender female who's also a married man or something and i'd be like what the hell this is actually going on and then the conversation um would progress and the questions would be like okay when was the last time you cried um what's your biggest fear uh what do you love what do you hate when was the last time you ejaculated and then they're like, <laughs> what? <laughs> and, and the thing is, when you can get a man to answer a question in front of other men about when was the last time they ejaculated, then things start to crumble down and you start <laughs> to really get to see men being in this vulnerable space. And this is how um, my men's groups really kicked off and uh, the conversations that we have going into anything from, uh, you know, relationships, the struggles of relationships, sex toys, um, struggles with modern masculinity and, and men's role in society, um, talking about corona, <laughs> um, environmental issues. like, And it's just really like deep and meaningful conversation where men are showing up and just getting real about what's honest with them. And the big thing that I've created the uh, incubator, if you like, is a safe space for men to come and express who they are without the mask and not be judged. Because a lot of men, the massive fear that they have is that someone will judge them. And I'm, as the facilitator of that, I protect the men in the group in that sense. So um, men aren't allowed to give advice which we're good at we love giving advice you know if you're in a relationship and your missus is like oh you know i need to lose weight and you're like well tell me what you need to do (laughs) (laughs) let me give you my five bullet points of what you need to do won't go down well (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't go down well no you're sleeping on the sofa and um yeah men hate getting advice and men hate getting advice as much as women hate getting advice and so it's a really great space where men can come and uh, just get real and be their own and share what's really going on with them in their world it's something that's missing from i would say the majority of men's lives like you talk about the pub talk and then i would imagine in most social or workplace environments probably 90 percent of men's conversations will be that sort of pub talk uh, with the bravado or the you know different things going on and i think you're right that that men don't connect in that way um i think women find it a lot easier 
don't they, to talk about their emotions and get together with the girlfriends or the sisters or whatever and let it all f- come out, whereas men don't, and that's maybe part of our problem. Yeah, for sure. Um, it, it, and I tell you, like one of the biggest reasons people actually come to these, and, and you get into this normally two or three sessions in, because the first sessions they're feeling it out, they've still got their, their armour on, they're, you know, yeah. like not quite sure about this. Do I trust these guys? Are they are they real? Are they going to mock me? Someone once told me that when you look another man in the eye, um, on some level you fear that he either wants to fuck you or kill you. <laughs> <laughs> right. And why is it that we don't feel that threat so much from women to a degree? Uh, normally it's rejection. <laughs> no, <really. laughs> well, no, they want to fuck you. That's not such a bad thing. <laughs> Depends who it is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um, and it, I tell you what, it, like, exactly what you said about like the conversations at work. The biggest things people report are, um, I'm lonely. I don't have many me and I can't get this type of conversation anywhere else like I have a guy in my group and um, if I was still in the Air Force now he'd be 13 ranks above me right. <laughs> you know yeah. so it doesn't matter it's not about age it's about stage so wherever you're at in life it doesn't matter whether you're doing millions of millions of pounds in your business and all of that, or you're, you don't have a job or you suffer from any manner of illnesses or conditions. Um, they show up and it's, it's a really cool space. Yeah. And, um, when, like you said, like the first lesson, the sort of, not lesson, the first meeting, the sort of feeling things out and sort of acclimatizing, do you find the same guys coming back week after week once they've, you know, at their feet in the water and acclimatized. Yeah, my retention rate is like 95%. Wow. Yeah. And um, I'd like to think that says a lot about me um, in the way that I am uh, creating that space and um, the way I engage with them and the way, like, I help them to get the breakthroughs. Because to be honest with you, it, it costs 10 quid, like, I wanted to get them to pay to come because I wanted men who were committed to actually showing up and and taking some action on their lives. And it's not a massive amount of money, but we'll get massive value from it, from whether that be um, me reflecting back to them some observations about what they've said or the way they're being or just like digging into what's really going on in their lives. Like I'll share a simple one. And, you know, we have confidentiality agreements of the men. We get all of the men to agree to the rules of the group. So um, nothing shared about specific people. Um, You know, you can't go and say, oh, my mate Roger, who was in my men's group the other day, he lives down the road. He was talking about all his relationship troubles and, you know, hasn't had sex for three, four, five, six months. Like, (laughs) you know, it's not that. And um, one of the best conversations we've had in our group was around something called the nice guy syndrome. Any of you guys familiar with this? No. Yeah, there's a, there's, um, 
subreddits on Reddit regarding nice guy syndrome. It's it's basically guys who are complete dicks, aren't they? But are uh, uh, who who try and come across as nice guys to to women. And is it is it linked to uh, like gaslighting and things like that? No. Oh, it- Okay. <laughs> so um we'll cut this bit out. <laughs> <laughs> so um there's there's a book by a guy called Dr. Robert Glover. And um one of the interesting things about this is I discovered that I was a nice guy before I even uh, knew I was a nice guy and had nice guy syndrome when I read the book. And it's just a label. I'm not a massive fan of labels personally. Um, and nice guys are, are guys who are like people pleasers. They seek constantly seeking external validation. They have issues around conflict, so they avoid any type of confrontation. They never really fulfill their potential as as men in their careers or their business or in life. They put all the needs of others before themselves, so they struggle to put their foot down and have healthy boundaries and assert themselves in their relationships, which is why we often say, oh, you know, you know you're under the thumb. This was me in my early 20s. Um, I, um, they suppress, suppress a lot of their emotion. Um, they're often addicted to porn, uh, prostitutes, uh, alcohol, drugs, um, and they have these uh, things, think, uh, covert contracts, and they're quite often manipulative. So they, they do things and they say things, but there's always a hidden agenda behind it. Um, and so the, nice, the idea of the nice guy syndrome is that what happens is when you behave in this way, you never truly get your needs met. You know, you don't get enough sex. You, you struggle with relationships, attracting the wrong type of person into your life. Uh, you're quite often mediocre. You know, you go through your career, kind of like middle-level management in your business. It's kind of okay. And all of it really links that back to uh, our upbringing, as it always does. And quite often for a lot of the men in it, um, it's it's caused by uh, attachment issues or abandonment issues. At some point in their life, they've been left alone for a long period of time, and that has had a massive impact on their on their mind, that highly emotional event in their life, and that's caused them to, and I always say, when you break your left leg, you compensate by leaning on your right, right? right? So if you have a fear if you have an event where you're left alone and I could talk a little bit about my story later, if you like, um, what's going to happen is you're going to do everything in your life to avoid being alone again. So you're going to shape shift. You're going to be someone you're not Try and be the lad. Like that was me. I was the guy, the, the kind of guy that was like the loudest in the room, bit of a knob to be honest. Mm. Um, because I thought that's what people wanted to see. And my biggest fear was that I wouldn't be enough because if they saw me who I really was just like my dad, then they would leave me too. And they wouldn't be my friends. And it sounds kind of ridiculous, right? And quite petty. But when you start to understand the way the mind works, you realize that while I might have looked like a man actually in my brain, it was still a scared little boy. 
it was just like, Dad, where are you going? Please don't leave me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so. And where that really ties into uh, was the conversation that we were having in our men's groups. And it turns out all of the guys that were in the groups all suffered from this uh, nice guy syndrome. And they found themselves in their relationships, not truly fulfilled in their relationships. And the result uh, was like they were letting their partners walk all over them and they would suppress their feelings and their emotions and not react because anger is bad. And they wouldn't assert themselves and their needs and establish boundaries in their relationships so they would never get their needs met. And that would lead to an unfulfillment. Wow. Does that clear up your version, Ben? <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah, I was I was totally wrong. Uh, that's what you get for looking at Reddit. <laughs> but you know, every day's a school day. That's what, that's what, uh, that's what this is mm. about. So yeah, thanks for that. Um, You're welcome. You're human. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. How how much of how much of uh, an impact is fear on the on the nice guy syndrome? Is that the main motivator that that stops these guys from dropping the mask? Yeah, fear. Um, You know, quite often we use the label fear, but it's really just anxiety. That's the emotion. It's just the language we use is fear. Um, They're just anxious about being found out quite often. Uh, That was my biggest um, case for anxiety was like, I felt like I was constantly going to be found out for the phony that I was because I was this loud extrovert, like guy putting on this persona that I was something that I wasn't when truly inside I was thinking, shit, I hope I don't find out who I really am. That sounds like, um, is it, do they call it imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome. syndrome. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was reading a book about that recently, actually. Um, Yeah. It's a tricky one, isn't it? It's, uh, is there some of it to do with lack of self-esteem as well? Mm. Thinking that yes. you're not, you, so, you, lack, you, you lack value or you're not worthy or something like that. That's, that's normally always the case um, that uh, they don't think they're good enough. And it comes from the simple idea that if, in my example, when I was three years old, my parents got divorced, my mum had an affair. So it was nothing to do with my dad. Um, but he physically left the house. What I made that mean on some level, on some unconscious level, is that he left me, which must mean that I'm not good enough. And so I went through my life feeling like I was never good enough. And that shows up in the most crazy ways you can possibly imagine. I used to do Facebook Lives just and I know this is not just me. So, you know, you look, you've only got to go on Instagram and you'll see people struggling with self-esteem and self-worth because they do things because they crave that dopamine hit. They crave the feeling that uh, likes me. That must mean that I'm enough. And then what happens is it's this vicious cycle which then becomes addictive because it doesn't last. It's you know, it's yeah. just like oh well. Well, I've come down from my dopamine hit there. So now on to the next one. Now I need to do a post. And I used to do Facebook Lives. And I knew I'd do topics. And this is how crazy it is. I'd do topics that I knew were going to get lots of positive feedback for me. 
What yeah. do you mean? What was that for those Facebook lives? So it was for my business. Um, oh, right. Okay. It was for my business, but it was, it was all around this idea of authenticity, right? And, you know, you might say it's a bit of a buzzword that you hear knocking about authenticity. Mm. What is it really? And I used to uh, try and be authentic, right? Or what I thought authentic was. Now, if you're trying to be something, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you're probably being the opposite, right? <laughs> You know, let's put my authentic mask on. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of people do that, though, don't they? Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I get it. I get it. Um, Because you don't know whether to trust people. Like, you know, anybody in the world could be a threat, really. And it's, it's a bit like, you know, when you go and have a conversation and you say, oh, hey, how are you doing? And what do we all say? Great. Okay, I'm all right. Yeah, fine. Good. Yeah. I'm good. It's not like you go, hey, how are you doing? Oh, well, my wife's just left me. My kids <laughs> fucking hate me. And uh, I'm about to get dumped from my job. I'm addicted right, to porn. Yeah. <laughs> are you describing my life? <laughs> you know, like you need to build that relationship and that trust has to be there before you start to open up in that way. So, you know, I think it's, I think it's a healthy thing to a degree. Um, but for me, I was wearing masks in like my relationship with my friends, a different mask with my family. Like mm. I had, I had the success mask. Look at me. I'm in business. I'm so <laughs> <successful>. <laughs> you know, all of that shit. Yeah. Like, it's mental. How does it feel when you can let go of all that? Oh, I tell you, it's like a weight lifted off your shoulders. Um, I know, like, I feel so comfortable in who I am right now that I can do anything and I do any stupid thing. Like, I'm doing, um, are you guys familiar with breath work? You might have seen it knocking about quite a lot. Wim Hof? Just watch your, just watch your videos. That's all. I watch your videos. But, oh, no, I know about yeah. the... The yeah. Wim Hof breathing method. Yeah, I was going to ask you about it. Wim Hof breathing method. Uh, um, so I've been doing uh, breathing at the minute, and I just put it on time lapse. And my breath is like... Mm. You can't see my hands, right? <laughs> Don't you know what's coming? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I can't get a message from people saying, are you wanking? <laughs> 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 no, it's, it's breath work. <laughs> yeah. So, like, get out! I'm doing me breath work. <laughs> but you know, like, I'm, I'm completely fine with it, and I've been rocking up. Like, I've just done um, a cold shower challenge for thirty days. It's um, a long time to be spending in a shower. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't see my cock and balls for thirty days. That way, so, <laughs> might as well have been in the shower for that long. Yeah, and um, I can't remember where I was going with that. Where, um, the breath work. What's sorry. the um, start with the breath work? Yeah, what's the thinking yeah. behind the breath work? Mm. So, breath work is it is great for anxiety. And it's really great for getting in touch with your body. Now, for a lot of men, um, with, with, and this is a sweeping, um, 
<laughs> stereotype. We, we are very much in our heads. We're quite logical, uh, process-driven, quite analytical, data-driven. A lot of us, that's not to say there's not creative men out there. Of course there is. Um, but quite often we are thinkers, uh, and that's because we're not in touch with our emotions. We don't want to feel our emotions because that's bad and that's dangerous. And uh, anger is bad and anxiety, we need to fix that. We need to suppress that. So we quite often find ourselves in our head. And breath work is a great way to get connected with your body. And when you start to get connected with your body, it allows you to be guided by your body. So... Um, I found in my life that I didn't feel, I, I wasn't an angry person. I, I wasn't angry. I never felt angry. So I, I don't feel angry. I don't get angry. Um, I would feel some anxiety, but then I'd quickly fix it and suppress it by going, I'm going to be positive. Come on. Like you can't be anxious. You just need to do something and get on with it. Man up. Don't be a pussy. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of, very um some might say negative uh way of being in in modern masculinity i believe that there is a time for that like you know in the military if you're getting shot at <laughs> you know let me just think about this time so, out, guys let's do my breathing uh, uh breathing exercises <laughs> <laughs> center you know, recenter myself <laughs> there's a time and place for it yeah and um the, the obvious reason with suppression, that's not obvious. The reason that suppression isn't great is because it also limits excitement and fun and your ability to enjoy life because you don't just suppress one emotion, you suppress it all. Mm. Right. So it's a, like a balancing act then. If you uh, try and bottle things up, you're also bottling up the positive emotions as well. Exactly. Wow, really I didn't, that's never uh, occurred to me before. No. So when you're actually doing the uh, the breathing strategy, are you kind of inducing hyperventilation? Or are you breathing like at a normal rate? Yeah, so there's different types of breath work. Um, mm. So the Wim Hof method, which you know you might have seen out there, is, is really good actually. That's really simple. It's like... <sighs> Yeah, so it sounds like you might kind of get all the weird kind of side effects from yeah, yeah, like the tingling and the uh, yeah, yeah, titanitis where they call it like the claw. Um, mm -hmm. Like I did breath work recently with a guy, and um, all my arms were like there was like adrenaline shooting all the way up my arm, and I was like, Jesus Christ, what is going on here? Um, and it's just the balancing of the oxygen and carbon dioxide levels in your blood, apparently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is, it, is it you, Matt, that does the, the mental health stuff? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah. So, are so you basically, you, 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 well, yeah, because, like, this is what happens in a panic attack. So, you know, the difference is with a panic attack is you're, you're not in control of that hyperventilation. So you can teach people to be in control of how they breathe Mm. in order to counteract the, the side effects, the, the impact of that taking in too much oxygen, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and this kind of links into the, the shower work as well and the cold baths mm. because uh, what it allows you to do, um, so uh, you have your autonomic nervous system, right, which is 
what controls your ability to go into fight or flight and also your um, your rest and digest system. So it's called the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. I don't know whether you guys are familiar with it. Yeah, yeah. And um, when, for example, I step into the shower, like most people step into the shower and they're like, fucking hell, it's cold. Like, got my foot in, it's freezing. I'm not going in there. And their body just goes into that shock. And it's the same reaction as let's say a panic attack which is that really shallow uh, fast breath you know body um, tenses up um, you know it's it's very similar in that respect so by doing these exercises this breath work it allows you to control your atomic nervous system oh shit right this is why they call him the Iceman isn't it Wim Hof the Iceman yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because he can use his breathing method to expose himself to extremes of cold temperature, can't he? By it, using yeah. this breathe, breathing method, he and doesn't go the, into shock. It's the adrenaline which normally gets your, you know, your. I believe this is so. I think this is so. Uh, the adrenaline which gets pumped through your body uh, trigger is what triggers you into action. Normally, your fight or flight, and and what he. Uh, can do, I believe, is control is, I think they're called endocrine, endocrine, endocrine yeah. Um, yeah. systems. And that allows him to regulate his body in that way and control the flow of uh, chemicals into his bloodstream. And that stops him from going into that massive panic attack. So he's a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I mean, he can do super, he's, he's done superhuman things, hasn't he? That's what I mean. If you if yeah. he's in control of his uh, like the release of adrenaline into his body, that's some crazy skills. I think he's, he's controlling his his response to it. I don't, I don't believe he'll be controlling his endocrine system. Mm. Do you know he he will have trained himself to know what's happening, uh, know himself intimately. I guess his, his endocrine system and and be able to operate differently to the rest of us whereas you know when we have an adrenaline rush or a panic attack or even if it's controlled with your, your breathing techniques um there's still there'll still be a level at which you are not in full control and i think maybe wim hof um has kind of developed this to a, a level greater than than anyone else but it's certainly interesting and and you know yeah to all intents and purposes a an optimal human. <laughs> <laughs> optimal. Yeah, I you... think he's, um, I think it all comes back to exposure therapy, really. And, you know, he's been, I don't even know how long he's been doing it, but, you know, he's been jumping in ice pools for God knows how long. Mm. And it's just like anything. It's like going to the gym. You know, if you go to the gym enough times, you'll be able to lift that heavy weight. Yeah. Um, if you get an ice enough, you'll probably get used to it. I found it with the showers, actually. Um, when I first started, I would be like, holy shit, this is freezing. I've got brain freeze. It's so cold. And then towards the end, I did an ice bath to finish, and I was absolutely fine. Um, don't get me wrong. Like the first couple of minutes, it was stinging like shit. Mm. After that, I was able to calm my body down and be absolutely fine with it. So, yeah. 
It's amazing how uh, malleable we are as, as far as being able to adapt, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is the like the, like tying this into the conversation about what gets in our way uh, and what really limits us. It's um, we don't know what we're capable of. And quite often people use the words like fulfill your potential. And it's like, what is your potential limited? Because to say I'm going to fulfill my potential is like, here's my cup of potential and this is all I've got. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's certainly not that. Like, if you want to go and play the violin tomorrow, you you know, you wouldn't be very good at starting. You'd be clunky, but you could learn it. Like, <laughs> well, is that in the cup? I don't know. <laughs> don't know whether I can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's sort of a failure of imagination in a way, isn't it? Yeah. You, you know, we're all capable of amazing things. But it's, uh, I suppose, do you not find it's, it's difficult for, say, blokes are maybe 30 and over who've got wife kids as you know the 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 nice guy in the middle management job trying Mm. to take that leap i mean it's fraught with with anxiety and danger isn't it well yeah of course it is so if we understand the human brain uh, then it's designed to protect us it's you know its prime directive is to preserve the body so anything that's a perceived threat or uncertain, let's say, let's say starting a business or deciding to jump out of a plane, or, you know, there's mass uncertainty around that. So the body is naturally going to react in a way where it stimulates a feeling. And that feeling is what's so bad that it stops you from taking action. Like most of the time it's that feeling of anxiety. You know, I'm sure we've all had it in our stomach or our chest where um, we're challenged to do something, like let's say public speaking, and instantly you get it in your body. And it's that that stops us, really. Um, And this comes back to uh, men suppressing their feelings. So um, we suppress our feelings quite often because there's some kind of hurt or pain associated from our past something that's happened to us and and we're carrying that all the way into our future. My mum is brilliant. She, uh, (laughs) she says, um, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm over it. I'm over it. She's an alcoholic, by the way. I'm over it. It's in the past. There's no problem here. And anytime we get into uh, talking about emotion, uh, anything emotion, it's like, Oh, how's the weather? Oh, so what's the weather do? <laughs> and you just like avoid, 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 because she doesn't want to go there. And um, when I say my mum's an alcoholic, I don't want to say that she's not an awesome woman because she is. And I don't want to discredit it. I love my mum to pieces. But, you know, we discuss this openly and like her, her alcohol. So uh, I say that uh, with the greatest respect for my mum. She... Um, I lost my trail of thought there. <laughs> um, suppression, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And deflecting from, you know, awkward conversations, I guess. Conversations that that you might not want to have. You have these, these uh, delay tactics and deflection tactics, and I think you were possibly going to link that to the 
uh, that being manifested in a lot of men's behavior too. Uh, and the fact that we, we also many, many times may deflect away from a conversation we don't want to have or, or an emotion we don't want to experience or, or any kind of thought that is, is against what we're currently experiencing, I guess. Are you talking from experience then, Ben? Not at all, no. Just uh, no. just riffing. I'm reading it off this book. Yeah. <laughs> just just projecting that out there. These are the men. Nothing to do with me. I've done that. <laughs> I'm sure that most people have avoided having an awkward conversation, haven't yeah. they? They love that. Of course. Yeah, I'm sure I, well, I've done it. I'm sure lots of people, it takes courage, I think. It's nerve-wracking, isn't it, to kind of, mm-hmm. to say something to someone that you love that, either you don't like it or they're upsetting you it's a difficult conversation to have that isn't it yeah definitely 100% and I'll tell you what I was going to tie it into Um, when you suppress your feelings and you can't feel your feelings you can't use your feelings to help you so um, most people don't realise this but anger can be a really good emotion like there's a lot of angry men, uh, but they've either suppressed it or they vent it externally. And normally anger is caused by two, two things. Uh, one of two things. It's all normally met by uh, some kind of injustice, right? So that's the first one. So let's take, for example, um, you with a girl or a guy uh, and he, cheat, or he or she cheats on you, right? What's the immediate feeling? <laughs> I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill her. It's that instant rage, right? Some injustice. Uh, someone dies in, in your life at an early age. Sometimes that can manifest. It's like it's been done to you. They, they left me like that kind of feeling as well. They shouldn't have gone. And that can manifest. It's ang- You'll be angry at them for leaving you when really they were probably just old. And, you know, like all of us, eventually we're all going to die. Sorry to bring the conversation down there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but like anger manifests itself in, in, in that way from some kind of injustice. And the other way anger manifests itself is when there's an unmet need. When one of our needs isn't met, we quite often get angry. It's like, I needed you to empty that dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> yes, it's a conversation. You know me so well. <laughs> maybe that's not you having the conversation. Maybe that's your other half. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I'm a domestic. It's so funny when you. Um, I always find it funny. Like when I moved into my first apartment with my fiance, I uh, we we had to wash the dishes, and and there was an argument over who washed the dishes, right? And then. When we moved to a new place, we were like, yes, we've got a dishwasher. <laughs> and it's like, now we argue over who <laughs> hasn't emptied it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> never ending. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, and I was going to say something there about nice guys. Nice guys finished last. That's One the old the cliche. One of about nice guys, just to give you um, like a... Uh, another uh, insight into this nice guys are the type of guys that when they go and chat up girls they say stuff like 
I'm not like the other guys. They're all wankers. <laughs> I am nothing like that. <laughs> nice guys will also try and dump a girl, but still want her to be his friend and still not want to hurt her. That's what he tries to do. So he wants to finish the relationship, but he doesn't want to hurt her. So um, I remember in my first uh, first real relationship, I was in a relationship for five years, and um, I was with a girl. After about three and a half years, I was just like, oh, I'm done with this. I was massively under the thumb. And I was just like, oh, I just need to find a way to dump her. And I tried to dump her. And she started crying. And then I was like, oh, I didn't mean it. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. We can give it. <laughs> give it another like, three and a half years. <laughs> a year and a half later, um, <laughs> my best friend, who I've known since I was about four, uh, Phil, he, um, he was going on, he'd booked a holiday to go away with his partner, but she dumped him. And so th- this was in like maybe the November and we were meant to be going away in like the March or the April on like a guy's. No, it wasn't that. Can't have been that. No one ever goes away in March and April on a lad's holiday. <laughs> you know, it might have been like, let's say January and we we're going away in June. And his missus dumped him and he messaged me and he said, oh, I've got a free space. She dumped me. Do you want to come? And I'm thinking, she is never going to let me go on a lad's holiday. Not a chance. So I was like, ah, now I've got a deadline. <laughs> now I've got to dump her because I committed to it and I paid him and I said, I'm coming. I'm finishing this relationship. <laughs> and um, it came. Um, the tears started rolling and I just had to shut her out of my life because I know that I'd have been doing that. Should we give her another go, maybe? <laughs> you know, like there's a reason I tried to finish it the first time and... You know, there was lessons in that. Of course there was. But that was just an example of, like, my nice guy behavior showing up in my life. I wasn't, you know, I was a young lad. I was only really, like, 23, maybe mm. 23, 24 at that point. So How is she now? <laughs> Getting married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's, um, there's another side to that, actually. I talk about all this for hours. Um, but the... I had commitment issues <laughs> and I know for a lot of guys, uh, there's this, you know, there's the path that women want, which is the, the marriage and the kids. And, you know, of course there's guys out there that want that too. I don't want to discredit them. Um, but f- for me, um, I always struggles with commitment. I found myself in the first relationship of five years and then I was single six months, had a great time. And then I, (laughs) and then I was in a relationship for another three and a half years. And in each of those relationships, each one of them would say to me, um, when are we moving in together? Uh, when are we getting married? And I'd be like, not a chance. That is not happening. I'm not getting married. And I want you to see how this all ties in. When I was three years old, my parents got divorced. My mum had an affair. And quite often people would say to me, oh, did, um, did your parents' divorce ever impact you in area affect you? I was like, no, no, it was only three. Didn't know anything about it. But what followed 
after the age of three was like 10 years of uh, court battles, uh, using us against each other, me and my brothers, like using uh, mum <sighs> against dad, getting passed around, seeing my dad once, twice a week. Dad turned up with a baseball bat trying to dad. Uh, just rouse every single night like it was bloody horrendous and I remember really clearly actually uh, I was about six years old and I just remember sitting on the stairs as a small boy and my mum and my stepdad were like arguing probably launching Indians at each other or Chinese or something and I just remember like crying my eyes out just going please stop please stop please stop please stop I even put my hands together praying to a God that I didn't believe in going, I know I don't believe in you, but please just make them stop. And it was like that most nights. And what I realized later on in life is why did I have a commitment issue? Well, isn't it obvious? I was terrified of what had happened to my mum and dad was going to happen to me. So the idea of getting married was completely off the cards. Yeah. Mm. I am getting married this year, by the way. <laughs> Congratulations. Excellent. I'm over that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Very good. Good. Well, that, that kind of thing in your childhood is going to have a massive impact. That's when you learn how to manage your relationships and things. So if you don't have those kinds of role models, I suppose, then it is it's going to, it's going to have an impact on you, definitely, and how you form and maintain your relationships and your attachment and stuff. Definitely going to be affected, isn't it? I'm interested in you guys. Um, what's your take on relationships? Do you, do you find them easy, plain sailing, or is it like mm. a work in progress? Or it's what? never plain sailing, is it? But that's, no. that's part of the adventure. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're always a work in progress, surely. Yeah, mm. I, I don't. Th- yeah, I, I think mar- I'm married. I've been married for. Five years, I think, off the top of my head, and I've been in a relationship for about um, with a, for about fourteen years, I think. Oh wow! Um, but um, this, yeah, it's still uh, this, you go through patches where it's better than other patches, definitely. And you just got to sort of, I don't know, you just manage it, don't you? Mm. I don't think it's ever. I don't think any relationship is ever perfect. I don't think that's possible. Doesn't personally. exist. No. no. And there's no such thing as a perfect human being. Well, <laughs> maybe on Instagram, the about 20 filters. I think, uh, well, three should... hours of prep. <laughs> it's just that my wife doesn't recognize what's sat in front of her, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard something, uh, a quote once, and it was like, um, um, Never become perfect because no one will be able to relate to you. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. And true connection with other human beings, we connect through our flaws. It's like, yeah, (laughs) you know, when we make a a fuck up, we're like, take the piss out of each other, but it's good. And it's like human. But if someone's just like perfect all the time, you start to resent them. Like, oh, you're such a twat. Why are you so perfect all the time? How much do you think, going back to like you were talking about the social media and dopamine hits and and all that, how do you think um, the way we live in in this age is having a a negative effect on our, you know, because our relationships are going more and more digital and uh, 
more and more maybe shallow, superficial. Mm. Do you think that has a big impact on why you know you're having to these groups are having to 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 pop up to fill this need, this void? I think so. I think I think we're craving uh, human connection. Um, I definitely think that's the case, and I think that's why my, my men's groups are such a success. Men just want to be around other men, like or other human beings, rather than just like this digital emptiness. Like you know, we're on a call now, and it would be a very different feeling. Uh, to what it is now if we were doing this in person definitely that's something we've noticed since we've you know been having to do this remotely i mean it is completely yeah. different it's massive and you just can't you just can't replicate it you know i think that you pick up on so many things from a person when you're in front of them and I don't know what entirely know all the science behind what it truly offers you, but there's just something. And, you know, people often talk about energy and, like, the vibe or you know, that you're giving off and that kind of thing. And I, I personally do believe that you, um, like, I've looked at Are you familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza? Have you heard of him before? Nope. He studies, he studies like, uh, he calls them energy, energy centers, but he looks at like the chakras and he's a, a doctor, but he, he's, I love his approach because he combines science with, um, you know, a bit of woo woo, <laughs> but he, <laughs> he brings the science to the woo woo and it's, it's more tangible. And that's what I like about it. And, um, he's always talking about our electromagnetic field that we all have and we all round or walk around with an electromagnetic field and people pick up on it. And it's, I always say to people, when do you notice there's an atmosphere in the room or when, when does someone tell you there's atmosphere in the room? Mm -hmm. Yeah. uh, It can be negative as well. Can't it? Well, it's, No one tells you, do they? You just pick no, up on right. someone. Yes. Like, yeah, I don't know, you feel it, don't you? Yeah. You feel it, it's yeah. Six, yeah, it's the sixth sense. So how true is it, really, that we all have an energy field and we're all giving off a vibe? I'm down. Mm. I love all that. I love all that shit. I'm well into it. Yeah. You're not feeling too good? Yeah. <laughs> no. Do you not think it's, it's body language, though, as well? Yeah, and... The, the, I suppose the thing is with body language is that you would you pick up on that without verbal cues, don't you? Mm. Like, there's like a there's a famous thing, isn't it? That like, is it like seventy percent of communications through body language, thirty percent through what you actually say. It's less like than that. that. I think it's like ten percent of what you actually say. Yeah, and then um, something like so I think it's fifty-five percent body language. Um, tonality has a lot to do with it as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I, de- I, I definitely think body language does play a part for sure. Mm. I didn't, I didn't fully answer your question, uh, Phil. I, right. I went off on a tangent talking about when you get over thirty. Was it you or, or Matt that asked that question? I can't remember now. No, I, my last question was about um, social media and uh, the digital age. You I'll know, keep um, it focus. Social media. Yeah, age. because I mean, we're we're blooming. We're hominids, and we used to deliver, you know, go around, sit around a campfire and tell stories. And, you know, there was masses amount of, of 
communication, face-to-face communication, which is, is dying, isn't it? By the year, mm. less and less and less is happening. Even in your own household, people are just glued to their devices <sighs> or they're glued you know to what? the idiot box. One of the biggest complaints of women is that my man isn't present with me. Fuck me. Uh, I'd say that probably is working both ways to a degree, except the man isn't as bothered. <laughs> He's quiet, <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Don't want to be sexist. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Um, I, I think we all struggle with it. Like, I'm sure we've all probably been to a restaurant and just seen like a table full of people on their phones or. Mm. Uh, I remember um, I was uh, traveling for two years and I found myself on like their subway in Singapore and I took a picture on the train and every single person was on their phone, not one person. Like there was maybe like, I don't know, 20, 30 people in the shop and every single person was on their phone. And I was like gobsmacked by it. Mm. Um, But that's the world we live in. It's, yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, every app is designed to hold your attention. <laughs> yeah, they're tapping into that random reward schedule again, aren't they, in the dopamine hit? Yeah, and it's just addictive. It's addictive. And, you know, I can't deny that I was addicted to the red dot. It's What's know, that? How what, hot? What's the red so, dot? Well, notification. Anytime you get a notification on any app, what colour is it? <laughs> right, right, got you. And it's well, a message, even though I know it's a voicemail from my mum. <laughs> <laughs> the red dot is there, and that has got to be dealt with. <laughs> Have you tried, um, do you practice um, proactively trying to limit your screen time and such? Yeah, so I have limits. Um I, I'm quite strict, actually, on my routine. Um, like, I have uh, routines and disciplines that set me up for my day, like morning r- routines. Um, so I get up uh, and I do I, – I never look at my phone first thing in the morning because I don't want to start my day like that. Mm-hmm. Because quite often, you know, if we think about the news, somebody's died – or somebody's bloody moaning that their life isn't what it should be, or somebody's put a picture up, or whatever it is. And so I really don't want to start my day that way. So the first thing I do is get out of bed, go downstairs, get the kettle on, because we're British, right? So we need the tea. A couple of pints of water. um, And then I... A couple of pints of water. Well, if you think about it, you know, all night, your body's trying to um, rest and digest food and, you know, trying to release chemicals from your body um, and you're often dehydrated. So I have a couple of pints of water to flush all of those chemicals out my body. And then I get, um, I was, when I was in Australia, um, I used to go running 10 K every morning along the beach. Uh, and you know, when you wake up in the morning, you've got that gummy mouth, like blah, <laughs> it's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> and I would wake up and I just have that. And so I started having melon every day, just something juicy and like kind of sweet just to get me going. So I'd have two pints of water and I'd have a melon, make my cup of tea. And then I get into my breath work in the morning, uh, followed by meditation, uh, followed by a run, followed by a cold shower. 
uh, followed by some journaling <laughs> and some, uh, you know, some breakfast. And, um, uh, and that's how I'd start my day. Um, mm. People often say, how long does it take you to bloody do your morning yeah. routine? <laughs> Takes me about two hours. Right. So you're an early riser then? Say again? You're an early riser then? Yeah, six. six. Best way to be. <laughs> Six, you, you've missed half the day, man. <laughs> <laughs> ben, Ben is a is a famously early riser. What time do you get up, Ben? Well, five is usual. Uh, just with I used to work quite a distance away, so commuting was was quite you know long. So I just got used to getting up at five, and then well, I used to get up at six, and I started going to the gym for a short period. And, uh, so I had to get up at five to be able to do some time in the gym, and it, it kind of just stuck. But coronavirus is throwing all that out, and then you know, I just get up when I want. It's <laughs> <laughs> an excuse not to get up. Yeah, I don't really like it. I'm I'm an early riser, though, definitely. So when's the first time you do look at your phone, then, Jay? Um. So when I go for a run, I look at my phone, but not to go on social media to uh, set up my, my run. Right. And that's, that's about it. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll put like a podcast on uh, while I'm running or some music. That's about it. Yeah. And then it isn't until um, after I started my day, because uh, normally I always plan my day the day before. Uh, and what that allows me to do is all through the night, my unconscious mind is working to try and get me to the outcomes that I've set out for the day. Right. So that's how I... Um, I start my day. Yeah. So by the time I start my day, it's not like I sit down and go, what am I going to do for the day today? Hmm. And then I spend 45 minutes doing that because I know that is my most efficient time of the day is eight till 12. Like that is my prime time for me. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not just um, social media on the phone either. I mean, uh, I don't know if you, do you know, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Tim Ferriss. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he said in one of his books that, um, for example, he, he only checks his emails once a day. So he has a set time that he has allocated for checking emails. Because otherwise, it's just every time the notification comes up and it's, yeah. and it's a little time suck constantly through the day, every half an hour or every 20 minutes or every hour. And it's, it's getting some sort of routine and regiment around it, isn't it? So that you're not constantly distracted with these notifications the best thing to do i found is to take your phone and go and put it in a drawer like <laughs> as long as it's in reach of you like within arm's reach you're in trouble because mm. yeah. you won't even be thinking about it before you know it you've got it in your hand and you're scrolling you're like jesus how did i get here mm. yeah. so the best thing i'd say is just put it out of reach yeah put it in a drawer and when you need it you'll get it but yeah. we just spend so much time. Like people often say, my life is so busy. I'm so busy. Right. Um, <laughs> my, my partner's mum's the best. She's like, Oh, like she's, she's got nothing to do. Like, so she'll work a career. And then she, she left her career and started, um, she'll kill me if she hears this. That's all good. We've got that kind of relationship. Um, when she uh, retired, she's like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself when she retired. <laughs> then all of a sudden, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, you'd not believe how busy I am because 
just fill your life with stuff. And it's like I always say, the time always expands to the timeline you give it. And that's always true in my experience. It's like, when are you going to do those dishes? Today. <laughs> now. How long did it take you to get to do those dishes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All day. All day. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, a bit of um, a bit of Jordan Peterson in there as well, isn't there? I mean, he talks about tidying your room and uh, carpe diem and being regimented and not putting things off till tomorrow. Yeah. Have you heard of the book Eat the Frog? I think it's by Jim Ron. No. Um, you know, we always put things off, don't we? It's like, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I'm quite famous for saying that, to be honest, with my partner. Uh, I'll do it tomorrow. And tomorrow comes and I'll do it tomorrow. And I'll do it tomorrow and tomorrow never comes. And um, eat that frog is tackle the biggest, most ugliest fat frog that you have, uh, which is just a metaphor for the ugly task that you've been putting off for so long that you don't really don't want to do. Yeah. And quite often people think that because I was in the military that I'm disciplined. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> working from home, and as I'm sure a lot of people are probably discovering now, is it requires a whole different level of discipline. You might have, some people might find that they've got the cleanest house they've ever had (laughs) now that they're working from home or they have no food in the fridge or they're just, you know, piling on the pounds because they're just finding ways to avoid doing any work. Whereas when they're in their office, they probably talk to all their mates to avoid doing work or who do they really talk to now? Yeah. Loads of sweeping uh, stereotypes here. <laughs> I apologize to anyone <laughs> offended. No. It's just true. It's just true. No, avoidance plays a massive role in sort of holding people back and and a role in sort of keeping anxieties going as well, definitely. So, you know, obviously when that fight or flight kicks in, that anxiety kicks in, one of the main things to do is to avoid that danger, that perceived threat. So, you know, it's a difficult thing to to tackle those things, isn't it? Especially if it's, it's generating that primal feeling in you. Mm. Is yeah, it- the, the anxiety one's quite an interesting uh, one. In the same way that I said you can use anger to be healthy. Uh, and I didn't wrap that up, by the way. Um, just, I'm just creating loads of open loops and I'm just going <laughs> to tie them all up at the end. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping all your audience engaged. That's great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if there's anyone here watching, I don't know. <laughs> Normally <Yeah>. two. <laughs> <laughs> your mum. <laughs> They'll know. So proud of you. <laughs> um, yeah, like ang- ang- you can turn anger into assertiveness. So, um, you know, when we say anger is a bad thing, it can all is you can use what's called like clean hang clean anger or healthy anger to assert yourself in a a direct way which you know is anger but it's a way of getting your needs met and i know for a lot of guys and we talk about uh, not being able to have that tough conversation or ask for what you want and the nice guy syndrome um that is a lack of assertiveness like 
they're not willing to assert themselves on their life or their relationship and demand what they want out of life. So instead they just sell. And that's what results in that middle management, mediocre life and never truly fulfilling their potential in that area. Right. Now, like the anxiety one is an interesting one because, you know, we all experience anxiety on some level and we all have when we're challenged in life. And anxiety is normally a sign from your environment for you to do something, right? Whether that be uh, like normally avoid, avoid like you feel anxious because of some kind of threat to your being in some capacity. It's a bit like I did um, when I was in New Zealand, I did a skydive. Like you go and do a skydive, like naturally you feel really anxious and what's your body doing? It's creating all of these feelings to try and get you to stop doing this really stupid thing but what happens with anxiety is instead of avoiding it you begin to step into it and go through it and you do the thing what's the saying feel the feeling and do it anyway you step through it and what anxiety leads to if you use it in a healthy way through stepping through it is confidence because when you jump out the plane and you're shitting yourself before you go out, after about 10 seconds, you're, you're giving it all that, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and then you get to the floor, and you're like, holy shit, that was incredible. I can't believe I did that. I want to go again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you're confident, right? And the more you exercise, and the more you feel your anxiety, and be okay with it, and, and realize that the story you're telling yourself is, I'm going to die or there's a threat to my life, which doesn't exist. Let's be honest. There's no saber tooth tiger coming to eat you up and you can step into that. What comes out of that, the more you do it is confidence. And, you know, we can look at this like anything. It's a bit like public speaking. You know, if you've never spoken on stage before and you go to speak on stage, you're going to be crapping your pants. But if you do that 500 times, probably going to feel pretty normal. Mm. You might still get some nerves, but it's not going to stop you. You're just going to do it anyway uh, because you're confident. You're more confident. I've done this before. I know it's not a threat to my life uh, and I can do this and people enjoy what I have to say. Um, So, yeah, that's the anxiety piece for you. Yeah, it's trying to get through that. It's like a primal urge isn't it or a chemical primal yeah. chemical reaction that you've got to try and trick yourself through i guess yeah i'm interested the in the brain needs to unlearn it, it unlearn it yeah so your amygdala basically you know the more that's exposure therapy is another way of yeah. kind of framing that and the more you expose yourself to an activity that makes you feel anxious and nothing bad happens what normally happens is that the fight or flight response slowly dissipates. It goes away right. from that activity, basically. So your brain... That's similar you, to Wim Hof. Yeah, it's exactly yeah. the same concept. It's just exposure therapy. It's like when they have someone who's uh, horrendously arachnophobic and they, uh, yeah, they get it to have yeah. a tarantula on, a, on a, his or her arm. <laughs> yeah, that's flooding. Flooding, <laughs> Okay, right. <laughs> That's the term. So basically, I always like, think that could go one of two ways, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But basically, there's two, you can flood someone 
but it's, it's considered to be you know unethical obvious, for obvious reasons but is you it? do it in a graded way so you might normally you might say think of a spider or draw a spider or you start with a cartoon spider and then a picture of a real one then a video then one in a room at the other end of the room and in a jar something like that and then you get closer and closer and closer yeah. The more and you repeat, the face, and repeat, uh, and repeat. And repeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you open the jar and you throw it across the room. When <laughs> you get fired. <laughs> yeah, so it is exactly that. It's just mm. exposure therapy. Mm. And I think that's what it is. Uh, that's what all of this is, really, isn't it? It's like training your mind to see that it is safe and you can do it. Um, yeah. I'm going so back to the. Sorry, you're going to ask a question then. So you've been asking it, trying to ask you about three times. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, Go ahead. I, I don't understand this. Um, well, this um, anger, t- turning the anger positive. How does how does that work in a practical sense? Because it's something I'm. It seems alien to me. What to make it assertive? How to, yeah, how 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 do you channel that? Yeah. So like. The large problem that you have with um, anger is that um, it's normally out of control. It's normally quite explosive. Like people don't know how to uh, manage their anger. And I think that like a, a large part of like dealing with the anger is being able to sit with it and trying to be with the anger. Like that's one of the important things because um, – you probably only know one way to deal with your anger and that's probably the way that you were taught growing up or or you're exposed to whether that be uh, your upbringing. So your natural instinct is like, Oh, well, when I feel angry, I should do this. And that's what you tend to do with your anger. This is not like that. We don't feel anger. Like, cause we will always feel anger and anxiety. We're meant to feel it's a good thing. It's just the body's way. And uh, I can't remember who said it. It's like quite primal. Like a lot of this stuff is primal. It comes from the uh, reptilian part of the brain, the unconscious part of the brain. Um, and it's instinctive. But it's, it's about bringing awareness to uh, what is stimulating us, um, what is stimulating our environment, stimulating us to feel anger. So, for example... Um, every time you see your ex-girlfriend with another guy, <laughs> that might just re- <laughs> reignite that anger in you. So it's like the first step is really becoming aware of that anger, just aware of what the triggers are. Like um, the first week of lockdown, if we can really call it that, <laughs> um, I was seriously angry fuck the media, it's all a lie, (laughs) it's not really true, deny, 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 deny. And what I didn't realize, I went through these stages. So if you don't deal with the anger, it normally results in sadness. And sadness normally leads to depression. That's normally how it goes. And um, that normally results in quite a victim mentality, like, oh, I'm so down and depressed my life and all of that and i'm not saying it's not um, a horrible situation to be in because you know I've, I've spoke to a lot of men who've suffered with depression and you know extreme sadness and it, it's not nice they literally feel like they can't get out of bed in the morning and um when you go at this of, of lockdown i went into extreme anger 
of like, fuck the world, fuck Corona, fuck the government. It's all a lie. The press, the media, marketing, it's all of that. Hype, hot air. Second week, I went into a place of extreme sadness. I was like so down and felt heavy. I was saying to my partner, like, I don't even know what's going on. And on the Saturday, I burst into tears, like crying my eyes out, like, what is going on here? And normally, I can manage my state very well. And I didn't get it. And I've always said that I'm a people person. I've been like, you know, I'm good with people. I can create relationships with people. I'm good. And the, when I was when I was three, and my, my, just to go back to the story, my uh, my parents got divorced, and what I made it mean is my dad left me, and he left me on my own. The abandonment issues. When I was seventeen, um, my, my grandfather died, and he was like a second dad to me. Like I was really close to him. Uh, all of my life. And then when he died, um, like it destroyed me, it destroyed my world. And I was like, just an absolute mess. And what I didn't realize is I'd suppressed that. And every time New Year's Eve would come around, he died the day after New Year's Day, and I took him into hospital on New Year's Eve, I would cry. Like I'd just be this, or any thoughts of him would make me really emotional. I never really dealt with the sadness. And my, um, and what I realized was that what the government had taken away from me, <laughs> or Corona, whatever I wanted to blame, blame the victim, was my ability to be around other people. And the reason that I was angry about it and then that resulted to sadness <clears throat> was because I was now on my own again. And I hated being alone and I was terrified of being alone. And that resulted in in injustice, which, as I said earlier, was like one of the causes of anger. I felt this injustice and that led to sadness. But the only way to come out of that was to, first of all, become aware of it and recognize, holy shit, this is all tied to my undealt past or, you know, that I've suppressed in my life around my grandfather. So... I won't go into it, but I went and did the work uh, and healed that part of my past. And then through that awareness, I was able to start to um, exercise myself on my life again, using this, this feeling of like moving from sadness into anger and then saying, okay, well, what is it that I really want? Fuck the government. Yeah, I can't do anything about that. But what can I do something about? What do I need? Because if anger is always a signal from your environment um, to... Um, just had a complete brain fart. Anxiety is always a signal from your environment to do something. Anger is always a signal from your environment to achieve something. So for me, I then needed to achieve some need. And that need was for some kind of human connection. So what do I do? I then exercise that anger to get that need met by setting up a Zoom call with my friends and I get my need fulfilled. So that is a healthy way of asserting that anger on my life. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying trying to relate it to... I'm pretty good at controlling my anger. You know how you said sitting with it when you Mm. notice it? And I'm pretty good at controlling it. I'm just trying to think of... How do I take it to the next level and 
find a way to, once I know that the anger's there and yeah. I've got control of it, how do you, you know? Well, it's not so much a control thing. Like if you're right. trying to control, that's a form of like not fully expressing and being with that anger. Right. So if you're trying to restrict it in some capacity, then that is a form of suppression in my eyes. Yeah. So I think it starts, what is, what is the anger trying to tell you? That's the question you've got. To ask. What is the, the need that is unmet? Right. And that, it will give you the answer. So uh, if you're willing to share, when, when do you typically experience anger? Uh, usually with the kids. Okay, yeah. You know, if the, so, if the, the kids are acting up or one of them's hit the other one or something and your immediate reaction, you feel it boiling up, you want to shout at them. You want to say, get to your fucking room, you little shit. But, you know, you can't do that. It's four. So you gotta, so you, yeah. you get hold of it and you wrestle it, suppress it, as you said. But how do you, But it's, it's finding the, trying to find the positive use for it, which I'm probably struggling with. Okay, so then you ask yourself, okay, what is it I needed from this that I'm not getting? Okay, that, that's the next question. Right. So um, how I, did you want it to be? I think it's maybe it's because I'm not in control. Okay. Because I've lost control of the situation. Maybe that's why I'm really angry. So your need for control. Maybe that's it. I don't and know. if you're to know, where, where does uh, the need to control things show up in your life? Oh, fuck knows. I don't know. Where, where does, does the show? need show up? I think we all, we all feel like we need to be in control, don't we? Sure, but there'll be a, a method of dealing with that, like some kind of strategy you have of dealing with that certain situation. So when life gets out like crazy, I do X, right? Yeah. That's your response, okay? Right. So you'll have learned that strategy, and we all have these strategies. We have strategies for love. We have strategies for dealing with anger, uh, you know, in different areas of life. But like what is your strategy, Right. You'll have a strategy that you use right. in order to deal with that situation. And the chances are you probably deal with that in different, in other areas of your life as well with the same type of strategy. Mm. Right. Yeah. Now fine. to take it one step further and, and not to go into like a full blown coaching session. <laughs> um, Checks in the post, by the way. <laughs> you've got to ask yourself, uh, what boundaries haven't you set for your kids? Okay. Yeah. So normally anger also comes from uh, when someone crosses a boundary that we have. All right. You know, if you think about an injustice or an unmet need, mm. um, when someone crosses a boundary of ours, we get angry. So is it that, you know, there's something you need to do because remember, anger always teaches you something you need to achieve. You need to achieve something with your children in that relationship, the way they're behaving, the way you're relating. Um, and that's going to result in setting some kind of boundary for you. It may be the way that you respond to your kids or a boundary for um, the children and how they uh, live their lives. I'm not a parent, by the way, so I'm not going to stand here and pretend to be an expert in parenting. Uh, but I do know that I understand the emotions and what's causing any anger that you're experiencing in your body. I mean, what, I'm, what I'm getting for it, from it is that you need serious levels of introspection 
to try and deal with this sort of stuff, don't you? It's not a quick fix. And uh, <laughs> no, no, it's something I think's probably missing. I mean, I think I'm a pretty introspective person, and I always wonder how introspective other people are. <laughs> I've always found that curious. I always say to people, uh, and I say this to the clients I work with: you can't see the picture when you're in the frame. Right, yeah. <laughs> <There you> go. <laughs> Sorry to bring you the bad news. <laughs> there is there is a certain amount you can definitely do for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's also good to have someone like third party who's objective as well. Well, this is the problem. Yeah, I suppose introspection can only take you so far. You do need like an unbiased third party, as you say, to give you a, a different perspective. And, 100%. Uh, and then they will pick up things that you can't. And this is where um, I actually see this in, in, in a lot of, I don't think it's just in men, I think it's in women too. But, you know, uh, quite often we're um, unconsciously unaware. Are you guys familiar with that term before? Unconsciously unaware. No. Yeah, we don't know what's happening. <laughs> we don't know things are happening. We're just going through life, doing our thing, and no awareness around it. And then all of a sudden we become uh, consciously unconscious of, of this um, this behavior or this belief. Or like in your example, oh, like I'm aware I get angry when the kids do this. And you start, as you start to become more aware, you start to notice the patterns of, of what's happening in your life. And normally people head over to Google at this point and they start searching for all the answers for their problems. What's this lump I've got on my bollock? <laughs> no, that is your bollock. Uh, <laughs> you <know>, like, <laughs> we start searching for... <laughs> sorry guys <laughs> laughing at myself that's a good one <laughs> um, <laughs> we were just talking with... about your bollocks <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I was talking about how when you breathe your bollocks rise this morning <laughs> I'm allowed to breathe out of balls um, <laughs> um and yeah, what what typically happens next is we go to Google and, and then we start listening to podcasts, we start reading books and that kind of thing. And we do the masculine thing, which is, hey, I can go this alone. I've got this, you know. So we watch loads of YouTube videos and we become this wealth of information to the point where we start sharing it with our friends. Mm. Did you know? <laughs> Let me tell you about this. <laughs> and you want to sound really interesting then. But the problem with that is you then start helping other people, but you haven't actually helped yourself, which is many of these people out there on the internet. They haven't dealt with their own shit. Right. And um, they try they try and fix that problem uh, through information, through courses, through events, through reading books. And it definitely gives people insight, brings awareness, that kind of thing. But they're trying to solve an emotional problem logical solution yeah and when you understand that the problems people are often facing are something programmed into their whether you depend on your school of thought subconscious or unconscious then um you start to get that i can try really hard by doing all of these courses and learning all of this information to fix my problem but inevitably the 
where I started. And so people end up on the hamster wheel going around. It's like, I keep trying to do this course. And now they become addicted to information. <laughs> and now they're like, I've done every course you can possibly imagine. I've done it. I listened to every podcast, watched every book. I, I know it. But <laughs> I'm still fucked. <laughs> still got the problem. Google hasn't solved the problem. And that's where, like, the stage where a coach comes in. That's something I think that's more more prevalent in men. Men are more sort of fixers, trying to fix a problem rather than, uh, I don't know. No. You don't think so, Matt? I don't think so. I think people, the biggest thing I come across is avoidance. You avoid dealing with things. So like what Jay was just saying there, to me, that's another form of avoidance. Rather than sort of dealing with the issue, you go and learn loads of stuff about it try and implement stuff but it sometimes it just doesn't work 100 percent. it is exactly that matt you're right um is avoidance tactic because then it's you you forget about why you were even doing what you were doing (laughs) so by the fixing you you're sort of conning yourself in a way saying i'm going to try and fix this by doing all this research but it's actually avoidance is that what we think hmm yeah, I think you get to the point yeah. where... Uh, I think that, that, yeah. Go on, Matt, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like what you were saying before, but that's where that third party comes in. So, you know, if you're trying to fix something about yourself, you might be able to do that. But I think the third party, the therapist or the coach or whatever, is the one that can actually see where you might be going wrong, essentially, mm-hmm. or you say something. And quite often, you know, when you talk to someone in that first session, they say, oh, I never saw it that way. And there's like a light bulb moment. Yeah. Um, and that's like in half an hour kind of thing. So, you know, yeah, it just gives you a different kind of direction to go in, I suppose. So so what is it that you do, Matt? Do you do like um, coaching or do you work? I suppose really my, my job, I'm called a psychological well-being practitioner. So it's, um, it's all CBT based, but really okay, it's probably yeah. closer to coaching because it's called guided self-help. Mm. Um, so yeah, it is more like these are the strategies, go and use them kind of thing. But you, there's an element of like formulating in there in terms of like a vicious cycle and those kinds of things. Um, but it, it's not technically classed as therapy. Um, uh, it's, it's more, it's called guided self-help basically coaching. Another way mm-hmm. of saying it. There's, um, I was going to say like, there's a, there's also a flip side to, uh, what I was saying, while we used a very simple example of like, you know, you've got a problem, you get to Google, um, you know, to tie it into the whole avoidance or the strategy side of it, it can also tie into the belief of I'm not good enough. Because if you have a belief about yourself that I'm not good enough or I'm not worthy or or whatever it is, then when it comes to educating yourself on a problem, and I see this a lot actually, and I had it myself, so I can talk to this. Um, get stuck in education mode. And the education mode is like you procrastinating on moving forward with that problem 
because you don't feel like you're enough. So inevitably you just keep on going, okay, when I've done this course and when I've watched this and I've done this and then I'll be enough. And I see it a lot in, um, in business in particular, you know, it's a quite a big jump for someone, let's say who's maybe working a job to step into a business and then the day never comes. The day never comes for them to take the leap because if they have this belief of I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I'm not young enough, good looking enough, I'm not experienced enough, I'm not skilled enough, they'll find themselves stuck in this cycle of like educating and the next course and the next course. And I see it in like coaching all of the time. They're like, and you'll know this as well, Matt, with um, there are so many different therapies uh, and coaching techniques and everything you can possibly imagine out there. And probably 95% of them will get you the same result <laughs> like all of the time. But there's people out there that are uh, doing the same, like getting every single qualification on the planet before they even start actually trying to work with any people. <laughs> and it's, yeah. Yeah. I think it's basically with a lot of therapies. It's the treat things in a similar way it's just got a different framework around it essentially mm. so you know like we were talking about the kind of exposure versus you know what you were talking about in in your kind of thing that's the one thing i wanted to talk, ask you about was when i looked at the uh, the maskless men is it maskless.com your website yeah. the right one then yeah it's yeah <laughs> <laughs> So um, I was looking on there and he said that you were, you were done training NLP and hypnotherapy. Is that right? Yeah, timeline and hypnotherapy. Yeah, I'm mean, just wondering where I'm sort of familiar with NLP. I've done a little tiny bit years ago with that. Um, but more, I was wondering what you actually do with hypnotherapy and timeline therapy. That's something I've never heard. Well, I've heard of hypnotherapy. I've not heard of timeline therapy before. Yeah, sure. So... Um, timeline therapy is super, super powerful. And the, the reason it's super powerful is it because it works directly with the unconscious. So talking about what we're talking about, uh, quite often people are working on a logical level with the conscious brain, the things like the monkey brain that we get all of the time, the chatter in our head. Um, and timeline therapy, the idea behind it is that um, we store events on a, a timeline in our lives. So if I was to say to you, hey, do you remember something that happened when you were eight years old? You'd probably be able to go back in your memory and your mind and remember that event very easily. Like if I said to you now, okay, what I want you to do is think about a happy memory. Let, let's do this actually. I'll do this with you, Matt, if, you, if you're okay with it. <laughs> okay. So um, what I want you to do is just uh, think of a, think of a, a good memory. Okay. Okay. What was the emotion that you felt? Um, love. Awesome. Now think of a bad memory. Okay. What was the emotion you felt? Um, embarrassment. Embarrassment. Uh, what, what other emotions? Uh, fear, I suppose, as well. Okay, good, good. So what we have is a positive emotion and a negative emotion. So in the way your mind has stored it is on some kind of timeline, right? And what it's also done is attached emotion to that memory. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. Like you thought about the event and there's also some emotion attached to it. Now what happens in our lives as we go through our lives, 
and it, it ties in very much with like trauma. Um, as we continue our lives and we're plotting these memories, there's emotion attached to all of these events. But what quite often happens is if we have a highly emotive experience in our life, and that's a negative experience, emotion gets trapped. Like we get trapped in that past emotion. So if you're in a place of fear around a certain event, you're, while you might look like a man, you're going to be trapped in your past because that, that high like, emotion is going to be driving your strategies and your behaviors. Like if you break your left leg, you lean on your right. So to give you um, the really simple example, um, my dad's... Um, my mum and dad got divorced when I was three. I, um, there was a lot of hurt and pain and sadness there. So there was a, a strategy that came out of that, which is I need to seek approval from everyone. I need to be good enough and blah, blah, blah. Now, I didn't think I wasn't stuck in that emotion. Like, I didn't think I was stuck in the past. I thought, yeah, I'm a man. Like, I'm doing my thing. Like, the past doesn't bother me. The past is behind me. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't bother me at all. But what had happened is I still felt those emotions, right? that sadness inside of me. And it was just kind of circling around and wasn't really that aware of it, like consciously I didn't know what it was. It just was. It was just part of me and probably suppressed a lot of it. What timeline therapy allows you to do is to go back on an unconscious level, back to that memory and release uh, any anger, fear, shame, hurt, sadness, on any events that happened in your life on an unconscious level, because the unconscious is the domain of emotions. Okay. So timeline therapy allows you to do that. And quite often um, when I work with my clients, they feel like the world has just been lifted off their shoulders. Sometimes they're crying. Um, it, it's crazy, crazy powerful because for the most of their lives, They've had this experience, this event in their past that they have um, blamed themselves. They have, um, you know, avoided connecting with people in life. They have, you know, their life's turned out the way it has because of that one event. And to allow people to go back and deal with that and relate to that emotion differently, it allows them to clear that emotion. Because quite often, when we have this event and we have this experience and we create this fear, that fear was, um, it wasn't like anything, we had nothing to be scared of, really. So what timeline therapy allows you to do is go back and relate to the emotion differently, relate to the anger differently, relate to the sadness differently. And when you can change the way you relate to an event, it allows you in the now, not in the past, to actually um, bring those lessons forward and live your life through that new lens. And that's what timeline therapy is. I hope I explained that. Did that make sense? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Powerful. Okay. So it's great for that. Releasing negative emotions and limiting beliefs. Um, okay. Then the hypnotherapy is just like, again, it's working at the unconscious level. So uh, after the age of, and, and there's different schools of thought here. Um, some people say after the age of seven, 
you can't, uh, the only way to reprogram your mind is through uh, hypnosis or repetition. Um, some people say it's 21, you know, that you can still make change uh, in your life at, at the unconscious level. Um, hypnosis allows you to go get people, and it's not like some snake on the screen with whirling eyes <laughs> and we're all hypnotized or we're all going to dance around like a performing monkey. Uh, because the common misconception with hypnotherapy is that you are out of control. And with yeah. hypnotherapy, you will never do anything that you don't want to do. And I think that's important to get because I once got, I once went to a hypnotherapy show and this is a, this is a great example of how much of a clown I was. Um, uh, there was a, a football presentation, I think it was, and they had a hypnotherapist on and they were looking for a volunteer to come up and be hypnotized. And me sat in the audience with all my mates, yeah, the lads, was like, yeah, I'll give it a go. So I go up there and he does this thing like, you know, breathe and do this and do that. And before you know it, I'm dancing around in a pink tutu performing, pretend to be a ballerina. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it. So, was you were I... never out of control. You wanted to wear that tutu. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Because that's this is the thing. I wanted to be the center of attention. I wanted that approval. I wanted to make people laugh and then feel good about myself. I did. Um, so people will never do things they don't want to do. So the thing about like stage hypnosis, for example, is that how are we doing for time, by the way? Cause I don't want to like smash on too much. <laughs> We're all right for now. Um, I've passed my bedtime guys. You're going to be up at five, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> but you get your melon in. <laughs> I need to be bad. <laughs> but 459. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, stage hypnosis, what, what they do is they uh, conduct a series of tests to find the most suggestible people in the audience. So I was clearly one of those suggestible people. And um, like you can do simple tests where you take your hands like this and I can say, okay, just close your eyes. And I want you to think about the more you try, the closer your fingers get together and, you know, fingers go together because that's what they naturally want to do. But that acts as like a convincer to, to make, and I'm now talking to your unconscious mind and your conscious mind starts listening to my language. And now it will do the things that I say it'll do, but it'll only do the things that it agrees with. So when you use hypnosis, you go to an unconscious level you take people down a series of stairs and it's all very chilled and Zen and that kind of thing. And you can begin to plant, um, plant's probably the wrong language, but you can begin to embed, uh, new beliefs, um, behaviors, um, into their unconscious mind, which like when that, um, they have a certain event which they haven't dealt with too well. Let's say a spider 
they can actually uh, resolve that as well. So to give you an example, one of the clients that come to me, she was a, a business owner. She had a, a, a great business, but she realized she needed to do social media. And one of the things she was terrified of was doing Facebook Live and being on camera. Now, we dug into a load of stuff in, in her past uh, and resolved that. Um, and then what we did is I said to her, okay, so walk me through the process of how you would do a Facebook Live. And when it is you feel certain thing, when you pick up your phone, is it when you push the live button? Is it when you see the camera? When is it that you actually get the trigger? And I got her to talk me through this. And then I said, okay, how is it you want to feel on the other end? And what I did is I took her into a hypnotic state. And people say, oh, I can't be hypnotized. We can all go to, into a state of trance. It's like so many people are in trance at the minute watching Netflix. Yeah. It's a state of trance, like driving your car. You're not thinking about it. You're in a state of trance. Um, and what I did is I created a story, an imaginary story that reflected um, how she wanted it to be. But I, I brought together the triggers, which she normally happens. So, for example, uh, you're about, you've got this fantastic topic you're going to talk about on your Facebook Live and you're super excited to do it. And when you see the counter, three, two, one, it's actually getting you more pumped. And now you go live and um, this is not the exact script, by the way, <laughs> to give it a bit more thought. Um, you're delivering with confidence. You, you know, people are responding positively to you and you can create stories like that at the unconscious level, because uh, I can't remember, I think it was Phil that said, you know, we sat around campfires for centuries. We love stories. The unconscious mind loves stories. And so you just tell a story. And through that, you can actually change people's behaviors, change people's beliefs, uh, and change their life, basically. Wow. Cool. Interesting. So, yeah. Wow. Well, Jay, Excellent. it's uh, five past ten. Do you think we should wrap up, chaps? Yeah. I think so. Um, yeah, that was fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. Thanks You're for welcome. coming on. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, don't forget yeah. to check out Maskless Men Eavesdroppers. Um, all the links will be in the show notes. So um, all the social media and whatnot. Uh, yeah, can thanks I just, very much. Um, can I just plug that I've got a new podcast coming up at the end of the month? Oh, really? Uh, What's it called? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I'm starting the Maskless Men podcast. Uh, on the 26th of may so uh we're going to be launching that and uh we've got some really exciting guests talking about a range of topics from sex to porn addiction what? to men's groups to um relationships um and there might be a few of me uh, talking about some of this stuff as well so it's going to be mainly interview format so it's going to be interview and solo. So I'll do some of my own episodes, but I also will be doing some solo. And one of the other things I'm doing is in around the ethos of like massless men and removing the mass. One of the things I really want to capture is the struggles that so many men have uh, and the unique stories that men have. And so I want to bring some people onto the show that, have incredible stories and uh, to talk about things they've been able to do 
even though they went through what they went through in their life. So ordinary men uh, lead into living extraordinary lives. um, And that's what I really want to share that message and, uh, yeah, provide some value. That sounds great. And when's it coming out? 26th of May. Excellent. Right. We'll put links for all that stuff and all your social as well, Jay. Awesome. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks for doing this. We'll sign off this week, eavesdroppers. Stay online, Jay, for a minute. And uh, we'll sign off. So, sayonara. See you next week. Cheers, guys. Bye-bye, guys. Wakanda forever. (laughs) 